Well, we're in Acts 28, 1 through 16. And we see in Paul a guy faithful to the end. Last week we saw how God anchors us through the storms of life. And we saw how he, he gave us these four anchors. First anchor is his presence in our life. And we, we looked at, at how he was always there for Paul as Paul was going through hard times. And if you remember, I asked the question, how many of you guys have been through a difficult time and God was there for you? And they all raised your hand. And I said, how many of you guys have gone through multiple hard times? Most of you raised your hand. And I said, how many of us forget those times that he did come through and was there with us, we experienced him when we go through a hard time now? Because we do. The enemy whispers, hey, he doesn't really love you. If he loved you, he would let you do fill in the blank, whatever it is that you're not able to do. And it doesn't matter whether it's a health issue, a relational issue, a financial issue, doesn't matter. The enemy's always waiting to whisper in our ear, God doesn't love you. He's not going to help you. He's not with you. And we talked about how do we experience God's presence? Well, you draw near to Him, He draws near to you. That's what it says in the Scriptures, and we saw that. That's the first anchor. The second anchor was His purpose for our life. We have a general purpose to exalt Christ always. When we wake up in the morning, our purpose is not to provide for our family. Our purpose is not to make an income. It's not to be some uh, position of authority or not to uh, achieve some dream. Our primary purpose when we wake up every day is, first of all, to exalt Christ. Now, we do that through a lot of different means. But that's our primary purpose. If we wake up thinking our purpose is anything other than that, as a believer, it's wrong. Our primary purpose is always to exalt Christ, whether we live or die, Paul says. But we also have a, a specific purpose for our life. Whether you're Amos Allman and you're, in, uh, you're into construction or land property purchases or whatever you're doing in that way, or, or, or whether you're van and you're driving a truck down the road, it doesn't matter what you're doing. We all have a calling this based on our skills, our experiences, and the path God lays out for our life. Those dreams you have as a kid, those dreams I had, that I had dreams to do one thing and God redirected me to another. And, and right now, my specific purpose is to do SWAT, SWAT radio, to go to Israel. Those are things that God has made clear that He wants me to do. And one way I know is He always provides for the things He wants you to do. So if you keep trying to push through a door and He just ain't providing, maybe He don't want you to do that. Maybe. You know, sometimes we get thinking we're going one way and it's just a detour for us to for God to get us somewhere else. So the anchor is His purpose for our life. That's the second anchor. The third anchor we saw was His provision for our life. How we look back and we see throughout time how God provides for His people and even specifically for us. Story after story in our life that we forget how He's provided for us. Paul knew that. He knew how faithful God was. And this is what he said, I know my God will do exactly what He says He's going to do. 
And then we, that really took us into the fourth anchor, which was His proven reliability through His fulfilled Word. If God says it, He does it. And when He does that, it, it, it gives us uh, this, his, it gives him scriptural authority in our life to tell us what to do as his children. He, you know, we saw God use Paul as a prisoner. Think about this. He used Paul as a prisoner to lead 276 people to have hope in a hopeless situation. They're in the middle of a tornado. Not a tornado, I'm sorry. A, a cyclone, a typhoon, a, a nor'easter. For two weeks out on the water in this huge, big... Uh, really uh, non-maneuverable boat that has 276 people on it. They don't have stars. They don't have navigational aids. And they're terrified. So terrified the, the sailors wanted to leave the ship. Two and a half months. And God changed the minds of all the people on that ship from disregarding Paul to listening to what he had to say. Paul went from being a prisoner to the leader of the ship. Because God was in it. And uh, think about it. In the middle of this terrible situation, in the middle of the water, they, the ship broke apart. They swam or floated to shore. And they all survived. Why? Because God said they would. And Paul said, I believe he, what he said is going to come true. And they all made it safely to shore. God's word was fulfilled. And guys, God used and continues to use predictive prophecy to establish divine authority. God says it'll happen. It happens. And guess what? That proves God is who He claims to be and His Word can be trusted. Well, this week we find Paul and his shipmates on the island of Malta. And as we look at uh, Acts 28, 1-16, we're going to see once again how God distinguishes His servant Paul as a servant with amazing faith who has this incredible love for the church. He's always looking for the people of the church. And God uses him again and again to be his ambassador in chains. Wherever he leads him. Doesn't matter if he's on an island. Doesn't matter if he's in a prison. Paul is sharing the gospel with somebody. And he finally today in this text, 1-16, through 16, arrives in Rome. It took two years for him to get there, but he's finally here in God's timing. And that's key, God's timing for him to be there. So as we look at the text today, we're really seeing this guy who's, who is the leader. He's well known in the Christian community now. And as a leader of the Most High God, we're going to see that God calls His leaders to, first of all, a life of service. If you're a leader, and we all are, if you're a believer, you're a leader. And we're a kingdom of priests, and we lead those around us, those in the darkness. And Paul, as a leader, demonstrates a life of service, and we see that. God calls us, first of all, to a life of service. But He also calls us to a love for His sheep, and I can't tell you how many guys that I run into over the last 28 years in ministry, and I talk to people, I don't want to, I don't want to hang around people. Me and God, we do our own thing. Well, your thing ain't biblical. Because God didn't design you to, one, not be around sheep. If you're a sheep, you're around other sheep. 
What happens to the sheep who aren't around other sheep? Yeah, the wolves come out there, man, they'll eat them alive. We're supposed to be around other sheep. And so we see that God calls His leaders not only to a life of service, but to a love for His sheep. And third, we see God call His leaders to a loyalty to the Savior. Now, the third thing is ought to be understood, right? It, it ought to be something that we don't even have to talk about. Loyalty to Jesus. But we see in Paul this loyalty that goes beyond, above and beyond what any of us in this room have been called to. And I, don't, I, I only know one person who's lived something small like that, John Monger, but to live a life of loyalty to God above everything else. I mean, and it's clear in Paul's life. God took Paul through these extraordinary trials. Uh, he was uh, beaten five times, 39 lashes. He was beaten with rods three times. He was shipwrecked three times. Uh, he spent a day and night out in the ocean. He was hungry. He was constantly at, at, under threat of being beaten up by robbers on the roads that he went on. He was persecuted from outside the church. He was persecuted inside by people. The Jews hated him. And yet, he never quit. He never quit. He kept on because he was loyal to what Jesus had called him to. And so as we look at those three things, a life of service, a love for his sheep, and a loyalty to his son, um, I, I want you to just kind of keep in the back of your mind that, that last one. How loyal am I? What is it that will cause me to compromise my faith? Is it my family? Is it my finances? Because... There's people doing it all over. All over that say they're Christian. And, and they, they start off okay. But you remember Jesus told a story? And He said, hey listen, this guy tells his son to do something. One says, I'll do it. And he doesn't. The other says, I won't. But he does it. Who's the righteous one? The one that does it. So you know what that tells me? It's a, it's a golf analogy, right Amos? It's not how you drive. It's how you arrive. It's how you arrive. And that's not about earning anything. That's about the fact that the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit's in you, He will not let you fail. Ultimately, He's going to keep bringing you back or He's going to take you off the face of the earth. Because you're supposed to be a witness for Him. And so, as we look at this text, we're going to jump into verse... We're going to read, I'm going to read the text and we'll come back and we'll work through each one of these verses, just kind of verse by verse, bring out a couple of things about them that uh, hopefully will help it make it clear. So starting in verse 1, it says, After we were brought safely through, when we learned that the island was called, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people uh, in your Translation may say bar barbari or barbarian. Um, but the native people showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. Now when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on a fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. Now when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. 
Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Now he, however, shook off the creature into the fire and he suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they waited a long time and they saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and they said, he was a god, just like in Lystra. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him, and he prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Now after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed for three days. From there, we made a circuit and we arrived at Regium, Regium, And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God, and he took courage. And when when we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldiers that guarded him. These are the very words of God. Verse 1, Malta was also known in that time as Melita. The modern name is Malta, the older name Melita, but the Phoenicians named it, and the, the, the word for the island actually means refuge. Refuge. So I don't know if that's because ships would go there in the storms, but it was known as refuge, and it was a refuge for, for Paul and the guys on that ship. In verse 2, it says native people, might say barbarians in yours. The, the word there really means uneducated. The Greeks considered people barbarians who did not speak Greek. They were uneducated. And they really kind of looked down on those people. And um, it was rainy. It was cold. They started a fire uh, because these guys come off of a shipwreck. They're all probably freezing this time of year. And they showed them unusual hospitality. You know, sometimes I find that pagans are more hospitable to me than Christians are. You ever experience that? Sometimes? That, That these barbarians showed unusual kindness here and Luke makes note of it. And, you know, in 1 Peter 4, it, 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 verse 9 says, show hospitality to each other without grumbling. Do we have a hard time with hospitality in this current age? Are we very hospitable? Should we be as believers? You know, I'll just be real honest. Uh, me and my wife, we were talking about this the other day. I grew up with a mom that modeled that, a mom who she hammered at home. 
Like, and every time somebody would come, the first thing she'd do, can I get you something to drink? Can I, can I do anything for you? She, my mom was always doing that. And Lori talked about that it wasn't model necessarily in their house. Everybody just got what they wanted. Everybody did what they wanted to do. They'd tell them, come in. They, somebody'd come in the house, and it was like, well, you can, you know, if you want some drink, there it is. And you'd go get it. But it was different. And so if you come to my house, it'll be two hours if you're waiting on my wife to get you a drink, okay? Because <laughs> it just ain't going to happen. That's the truth. She, she'll tell you that. I don't mind saying that because she knows it's true. But, like, when people come to our house, uh, I'm, I'm usually the one. I'm going to offer them something because it's just, it's kind of, it's not natural to me, but it's just been so ingrained into me because it's been modeled. Because you're from Mississippi. Yeah, prob- well, that probably is a big part of it, you know. I don't want to say that too loudly, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah. But but here's the thing. Listen, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, because you might be showing hospitality to who? An angel. We were out in Yuma, Arizona when we were young married, and Russ was very young. Russ was like maybe three, four weeks old. Uh, it, it may have been five weeks old, but it, it was right. It was, it was not long after that. And we were going into a store, and there was a grungy-looking guy in a wheelchair. He didn't have any legs, and... He had a beard that had all kind of junk in it and stuff in it down to his stomach. Gray, really gray and grungy looking in this wheelchair. And we saw him when we were walking in. It was one of those times it's me and Lori and we're just like, okay, let's it's it's around Christmas time, right? Christmas stuff is up and we're we're walking into the store and we see him, but we don't want to acknowledge him. You ever do that? Guys on the street corner holding a sign and you're like looking like you're doing something over here because you don't have to look him in the eye. That's what we did. So we walked in and we walked out. He's still there. Only this time, instead of being over here, he's like right in the path of our car where we're going to. So we come by and we look at him and we make eye contact. And he gives us this look like, I want to talk to you. And so, you know, I go... Hey, how you doing? He goes, I'm okay. And I said, is there anything we can do for you to help you? And he goes, can I hold your baby? Now, this is our first child. And you know how moms are with their first child. The guy just asked to hold your baby. And I'm looking at Lori. She looks at me. I look at her. And I go, okay. And he takes Russ in his arms and he starts crying. He just starts crying. He puts his hand on Russ's head and he prays for Russ. He prays a blessing on Russ. And we're just sitting there, like I get chill bumps now because I'm just, we're sitting there and we're, it's like surreal. Like, okay, this is kind of weird. And so... He, he, after he prays, and he's weeping. Through, I mean, there's tears going down his face on the prayer. He hands Russ back, and we said, can we get you anything? Can we? No, you've done enough. Thank you. And so we go get in our car, and we didn't have any cash on us at the time. And, and I said, um, 
Lord, we got to go help this guy. Let's go get bank and get some money or something. So we go to the bank, and then we, uh, we stop in a little convenience store, and we put a bag of goodies together, and we come back, and he's gone. We can't find him. We go in the store. Hey, did you see a guy in a wheelchair out here? No. We went to like three people in the store. Nobody acknowledged him being there. So we said, is there any kind of homeless shelter around here? Um, there's one like two blocks over. So we go there. Have you ever seen this guy in a wheelchair, no legs, beard? No, never seen it. We saw a police officer like just at a convenience store. So we pulled in there. I said, hey, do you ever see a guy in a wheelchair out here? Nobody had seen him. We looked for him for a week. Now, a guy in a wheelchair with no legs stands out, and a guy in a wheelchair with no legs is not very mobile in Yuma, Arizona. <laughs> it's not, I mean, it's just not. And so we're convinced to this day it might have been an angel. We really are. We are. And it wasn't for him, it was for us what happened that day. Because for my wife, and she'll tell you to this day if you ask her about the story, it was really hard to give up Russ for this guy to hold. And maybe it was just because Russ might have been an idol for her at that point. I don't know. But whatever it was, we could not find higher hair. But you never know who you are interacting with because the scriptures say you might be showing hospitality to an angel. So you might want to take note of how you interact with people. Because we, we kind of get ideas in our head of, well, it's just a drug addict on the street. It's just a, a guy who's an alcoholic or somebody just scamming money. You know, we represent Christ to whoever we meet. And we need to remember that. Well, Romans 2 talks about how, you know, even pagans know. It says, when Gentiles who don't have the law by nature do what the law requires... Their law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. So yes, these guys are barbarians. Yes, they don't speak Greek, but they showed unusual kindness to Paul and to the Romans and to the people who came off this ship. And verse 3 says, Paul was out gathering wood. They built a fire. Paul's gathering wood. He sees this thing that looks like a stick and he picks it up or he picks up a stick and a viper hits him on the hand. And, you know, the people on the island knew what it was. And as soon as they saw it, they thought he was going to die, swell up and die. But I want you to notice, Paul's not sitting back. Paul had been elevated now from prisoner to leader. He's telling everybody what to do on the ship. If it wasn't for Paul... Those people, he told them what to do. Remember what was going to happen? The sailors were going to jump ship. And if they would have left them, they wouldn't have survived. And Paul told them they shut the boats, uh, cut the, the, the lifeboats away so they couldn't do it. So Paul was a leader, but he's not sitting back going, okay, I've did my job. Everybody else do the work. He's out there serving. He's serving because his master serves. Remember Jesus in John 13? When he said, listen, he said, after he'd washed his feet, he said, do you understand what I've done for you tonight? Do you know what happened? Do you know why he washed the feet? The reason I think he washed the feet is because when they went into that house to do the Passover, nobody else did it. Nobody else, nobody else jumped on board to do it. So Jesus did it. 
He showed them a life lesson. Hey, I'm your leader. If I'm doing this, you go and do this. You go serve. I, I, I still, one of my um, greatest examples of, of, a, of a mentor serving is a pastor friend of mine from Houston, Texas. I, I've never seen that guy let other people be the one doing all the work. I mean, every time I've ever been to his church, every time, he's always the one putting the chairs out with everybody else, with the deacons. He's always the one cleaning up at the end of it all. He doesn't preach and get up and leave. And he's got six campuses out there now. And it's, it's, it's a huge church. And he's always, to this day, still serving. And so many guys, when they, when they have success in ministry or a job or whatever, you know, everybody talks about Collins from good, you know, good to great and his serving and all that. He didn't come up with that. Jesus came up with that. Jesus said, if you want to be great, you got to do what? You serve. And so Paul was serving. And notice what happens, guys, by the way, when he was serving. He got bitten by a viper. Sometimes, when you're doing good things, bad things happen. He's out there doing something good, and he gets hit by a snake. And as he gets hit by this snake, the natives were superstitious. Why? Well, they, they believed that justice, in your Bible, you may see a capital J. You ever wondered about that? If it's a capital J in your Bible? What that means? Why is it a capital J? Well, it's because there was a Greek goddess named Dike. It's spelled D-I-K-E, but it's pronounced Dike. And Dike was the daughter of Thermos, the wife of Zeus, and Zeus. And she was the goddess of justice. And so these people were superstitious. And they believed that Paul must have been a murderer because he survived the shipwreck only to get bitten by a snake. And by the way, was Paul a murderer? Was he? Yes. Should he have died? Yes. Should he get the judgment of God? Yes. So do you think God used that for him to be able to share his story with them, maybe? You see, they accused him of being a murderer. They didn't just say bad. Luke is specific. They said he was a murderer. And I promise you, Paul said, well, you know what? I should get judgment. I should get justice. But the next thing, they see Paul not die, and what do they do? They say, well, he must be a god. And I'm sure in the same way he corrected him in Lystra, he corrects him here. Why? Because Paul spent his whole life serving the king. He wanted to serve. He wanted to help. And you see it. Um, and so, why, by the way, why did these people believe in justice if they were pagans? If they were Greek, why, why would they believe in justice? Because Scripture says, it says over in Romans 1, that God puts it in the heart of every man. The law is in the heart of every man. Whether you go to Africa, India, it doesn't matter. People know what's wrong and right because God puts it in heart. They can see through creation. They know what right and wrong is. And so, even though they may say something different, they know. 
That's why they knew it was right and wrong. Also, it was an apostolic sign, guys. Paul was an apostle. He had seen the risen Christ. He had now done... This is an apostolic sign that uh, it was a fulfilled prophecy actually over in Luke 10, verse 19. Jesus said, Behold, I've given you authority. You will tread on serpents and scorpions and it ain't going to hurt you. Jesus said that and it happened. Over in Mark 16, it says they're going to pick up serpents in their hands, they're going to drink poison and it won't hurt. So God's Word is true and it was fulfilled in Paul. Well, in verse 7, we see Publius who's kind of the representative of the head of the island to Rome. He's the chief of the island. And he, he, um, he showed hospitality to him and invited him in, but his father was sick with this thing called, it, it was like an island fever. They, it's some kind of gastric fever that they believe they got from drinking goat's milk on the island, believe it or not. And so he's sitting there. It's called like Malta fever. And as he was sitting there, Paul goes in. Notice it doesn't say anything about anybody else, but Paul goes in. Lays his hands on the guy, prays for him, and what happens? Healed, and what happened to the rest of the island? Everybody's coming in there. Hey, hey, can we, can we get healed too? We got the same thing. When I was over in the Arctic Circle, I was up in like 12 hours north of the Arctic Circle at a trading post spending the night with a missionary over there. We were supposed to go out into the Arctic tundra three hours by reindeer to go out to minister to these Eskimos. And when we were, we were spe- supposed to spend the night in this trading post and then meet the, uh, uh, some representatives that were going to come take us by reindeer-driven sled three hours away to where we're supposed to go. Well, the next morning, the chief of the... Uh, the tribe out there came to us and his daughter was deathly ill with a fever. And uh, he said, you can't come out. The the guy who was kind of like his spokesman said, you can't come out. He's really upset. His daughter's dying and there's nothing we can do. She's been sick for days. And so we asked where the daughter was. Well, she was there. We said, could you come back tomorrow and bring the daughter and let us pray for her? And the missionary, I didn't initiate it. The missionary I was with initiated that. He was a bold guy. And so they did. They brought the daughter back. But he also called a friend of his who uh, worked in that area up there to see about getting medical help to come take her away. Well, the next morning, the chief brings his daughter, and we pray for her. They put her on the helicopter, that they sent they sent a helicopter to get her to take her to the hospital by the time she got to the hospital the fever was gone the chief was with her the whole time and the chief came back we had full access to that whole tribe man i played reindeer games i'm sitting out there lassoing reindeer playing games with these guys we were like celebrities all because we prayed and the little girl's fever broke. And some people might say, well, that's coincidence. I don't believe so. When I pray, coincidence happens a lot. I've seen it happen a lot. And so, 
So just like that, Paul prays, he's healed, everybody comes in, and I'm telling you, revival breaks out. You can rest assured, Paul didn't just heal people and not preach the gospel because he cared more about their spiritual healing than their physical healing. So he's sitting there, and what did they do? They were grateful. They honored them. That lets me believe that these people probably responded because you usually get two responses to the gospel. Either they love you or they hate you. If they're giving you gifts and they're helping you, it's probably because they responded. So Paul lived a whole life of service, guys, all the way to the end. But he also had a love for his sheep. Look at verse 11. It says, Paul left after three months. They set sail in a ship that had wintered there, and it had the twin gods. Now, in your Bible, it might have a little one down there, and it might say, or a number, and it might say who they were Castor and Pollux. Castor and Pollux were the patron gods of navigation. They were worshipped by sailors and it was believed that they gave protection from the storms and the shipwreck. And isn't that just like it is, right? They, these guys wanted to get on the ship and Luke, I think, was uh, specific in pointing this out because who is the God who really protects from shipwrecks? Who just delivered 276 guys off of a shipwreck? And yet Luke puts that in there because he's saying there's, these, these people are superstitious and they worship these things. And they obviously made a big deal about picking that ship. Well, in verse 12, it says, They put in at Syracuse, which was the island of Sicily. They sailed to Regium, which is on the toe of Italy there. And then if you look over in verse 13, they went to Puteoli, which was the central port at the Bay of Naples. And, and it, it was about 145 miles southwest of Rome, and they had a large Jewish population there. And so they go into this port and they unload it. And it says they were there for seven days unloading the grain from this ship. This was a grain ship also. And notice what it says about Paul in verse 14. It says, There we, him and Luke, found brothers. They found brothers. That's active in the Greek. They found. That means they were looking, right? They were looking for brothers. Why? Why, why do you... Guys, listen. When you go somewhere, do you look for brothers? When, when you're traveling, you go to another place, are you looking around to see if there's any believers there? I am always, whether I'm on a plane, whether I'm just on a trip, I'm always looking to connect with brothers for two reasons. One, to see if there's some way I can encourage them. Two, to be encouraged in my own faith. Because that's the way God designed us. And, and we are so caught up in our worlds, our schedules, our things, our devices, whether it's at the gym, the YMCA, everybody listening to their own tunes, nobody's talking to anybody that we're not getting the encouragement or giving the encouragement that we were designed to do. Paul loved the sheep. He was always looking in every place. He was looking. Are there sheep here? If there are, I want to help them out. And that's what we should be doing. It says that uh, they were invited and they enjoyed the hospitality of these Christian believers there. Isn't that great? How did they get there, by the way? How, how were there believers in Pudioli? The Bay of Naples. How, how in the world are believers over there? 
This is like 30 years after Christ died. How, how are believers over there that far away from Jerusalem? The spread of the gospel, the flame, the, it just goes. We don't know how it got there, but they're there. And Paul found them because he was looking. How do you view sheep? Are sheep an inconvenience to you? Do they bother you? Other believers? You'd rather hang around unbelievers? God, we're going to be with believers in heaven, guys, so if you don't like being around them, you better get used to them if you're a believer. They enjoyed the hospitality of the believers. Um, you know, over in uh, John 15, Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another. And He's talking about brothers. You love one another as I've loved you. In Romans 12, when He wrote to the Roman church, He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another. How would it have appeared to Paul, you know, or to these believers actually, in Pudioli? Maybe they got wind of this letter Paul wrote. Because Paul wrote this letter three years earlier. He wrote the letter to Romans three years before he ever showed up there. So Paul shows up on the scene and he's, he's somebody now. He's just saved the whole ship. And... They're believers in Pudioli and, oh, Paul's in town? Yeah, but I don't have time for you. I've got to get to Rome. That wasn't Paul's approach. I tell you what, oh, it's the approach of a lot of Christian or at least professing Christian leaders around. They don't have time. They don't have time. Paul was always looking. He was always looking to know how to build into the sheep. That pastor I was telling you about who's a servant, every month, every month for the last six years, he's had 60 people from his church come to his house. All different. He's just going through the roster. He's having everybody in his church come to that house. He's been doing it for six years. And I said, do you remember who was there on the first? Well, I remember some names, but you know what, Doug? The goal is for me, I just want people to know I love them and I care about them. John Monger, my friend from Bhutan, when he first got here, he had a little church of a bunch of refugees. There were like 34 people in the church. Every Sunday, you know where they ate? At John's house. Every Sunday. And he said, I can't just feed them food. Bro. I mean, uh, spiritually, brother, i got to help them. They'd have no food. He cared for his people. Paul loved the sheep. And God calls us to love the sheep too. 1 John 4.7 says, Beloved, let us one love, love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God. So, in Galatians 6.9 says, Don't grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do every, good to everyone, but especially to the household of faith. That means that if you have a believer in your influence, your world of influence, those should be the people that are a priority for you to minister to and show hospitality to. It's not that you disregard unbelievers, but it's just that the love that we show should be in deference to believers, the sheep. 
And that's why it just baffles me when people say, yeah, I love God, but I, I don't want to be part of any church. I don't, I don't know what they're going to do in heaven, man. They're going to have a hard time. Well, Paul, Paul lived a life of service and he loved the sheep, but he was also loyal to the Savior. You know, he's on this road from Puteoli to Rome. It's called the Appian Way. It actually went from the southeastern part of Rome and the base there all the way up, and it went through Puteoli. And Christians came from Rome to meet Paul at this place called the Three Taverns that was 33 miles from Rome. Would you go that far to meet a brother? Would you go, huh, in a car? These people are walking or on a horse. They came to encourage Paul. Do you know, guys, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4, Paul says, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and affliction, hardship, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, Sleepless nights, hunger, purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit. Paul's just laying out his life story here. He says, "...and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left hand, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, were treated as impostors and yet are true. Were treated as unknown yet well known." These people had heard about Paul. Paul was very well known in the Christian community. And so, Paul says, I'm poor, but I make a lot of people rich. I have nothing, yet I possess everything. These people wanted to see Paul. The Christians loved Paul. The Christians wanted to go meet this guy who wrote the letter to the Romans. The the Romans didn't know what to do with him. The Jews hated him. And isn't that the way it is? There's just no middle ground with people who are deep in the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. If you love the Lord and your love for the Lord is deep, your love for His Word is deep, you're going to drive superficial, professing Christians away from you. They are not going to like you. I can promise you that from personal experience. You will drive people away. They won't want to be around you. You may not want to be around me. But if you have a deep love for the Lord and an undying loyalty, true believers will want to be around you because they will be encouraged by you. And that's the way they were with Paul. There was no middle ground. Paul was encouraged. By the way, he was discouraged prior to this going into Rome. It says he was encouraged by these people, which is one of the goals of being around him. And he thanked God because like I said, it had been three years since he wrote a letter to the Romans and he wanted to see them. And in verse 16, he finally made it to Rome. Finally made it. He was allowed to stay alone, chained to a member of the Praetorian Guard. He wasn't kept in a regular barracks, uh, a, a prison barracks like a lot of the other prisoners. He was given kind of freedom to go and rent a place on his own, but he had a Praetorian Guard chained to his wrist every day until he was released a couple of years later. He was released. This is not his final imprisonment, guys. He was there chained to a Praetorian guard. And for a couple of years, and by the way, you know how often they changed the guards at Paul's house? Every four to six hours. 
So that meant every four to six hours, Paul had a different guy to share the gospel with every day. They're just recycling in there. And Paul's sharing. And you know how I know he was sharing with them? He wrote the Philippian church in Philippians 1, verse 12. Listen to what he says. He goes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. In other words, I'm not here because I broke a law of Rome. I'm here because of Jesus. And all these Roman Praetorian Guard guys know it. And he says, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are now more much bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul's saying, being thrown in prison is a good thing. It furthered the gospel. (laughs) He became a talking point, guys, among the whole Praetorian Guard. Think about that. Now, it took two years for Paul to get to Rome. But he's here. Why? Why did it take two years? Claudius Lysias, the Sanhedrin, Felix, Festus, Agrippa, Bernice, Julius, Publius, the people of Malta. All those people heard the gospel. Whether they received it or not, they heard it. Sometimes the gospel goes out as judgment on people if they don't receive it. But the gospel had to go to all those people. And so, now members of the Praetorian Guard, sometimes we make our plans, but Jesus has purposes beyond our plans. Did Paul get to Rome, by the way? Yes or no? He did. Did God have other plans for Paul along the way other than Paul's original plans? Yes. We walk by faith, not by sight. First Thess 5 says what? Give thanks always in everything. Praise Him always. Praise Him always. You don't know what, what God's going to use your circumstances for. And I want you to think about this. In what ways do I feel called to serve God and others right now? You're not walking through life without a call on your life to serve. We all have it. To serve Him, to serve others. So what call is there on my life right now? What keeps me from doing that? That's an application question for us that we've got to work through. Do I really love being around God's people? If not, why? Why don't I like being around God's people? Why don't I like being with these people? What can I do practically to help strengthen my desire to be around His people? How do I demonstrate my loyalty to Jesus in my daily life? Am I loyal to Him? What practical things are going to deepen my love for Him that will make me more loyal? What what are we loyal to? What drives our loyalty? Well, with Him, I'm convinced it's gratitude. I'm convinced Paul knew what he deserved. He knew who he was. And because Jesus redeemed him in spite of who he was, he was willing to do anything for him. And I'll tell you, just quite candidly, for me, I know who I was. I know what I deserve. And the reason I do the things I do for him 
It's because I'll do whatever he asks me to do because I know what I deserve. Gratitude is the biggest motivator in my life for loyalty. So um, think about that. Don't let the enemy paralyze you with guilt. Just own your junk, confess it, and ask him to help you in each one of these areas to be a better server, to be a better lover as it was sheep, and to be more loyal to him. Okay? Uh, Dave, will you close our time in prayer?